the thing that you could be armed with more than anything is patience. There are so many times when silence has saved me. Mm -hmm. There are so many times where instead of thinking of what I was going to say back, I really listened to the person or I thought, oh my gosh, I'm really judging their motives. And the assumptions that we make about people that we don't even understand, we want to believe the truth. We're designed to, to believe the truth, but we'll miss obvious lies because of that. You can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage strength, and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology. Or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Before we start the show, I have something to share with you. If you or someone close to you is suffering from a sense of anxiety or loneliness, the truth is, anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness, affecting 40 million adults in the United States every year alone. And according to a recent study, more than 60% of Americans report feeling lonely, left out, poorly understood, and lacking companionship. This matters a lot, because loneliness is stressful enough to raise all-cause mortality by up to 30%. So, I've written a free guide with 10 ways you can start to overcome anxiety and defeat your loneliness. Don't wait on positive emotions. Learn how to create them for yourself starting right now. You can grab the guide by heading over to drmartinfletcher.com. That's doctor spelled drmartinfletcher.com. Good afternoon, Matt. Hey, Marty. How are you today? Doing all right. How about you? I'm good. Busy, but accomplishing stuff. You're busy, but accomplishing stuff. So you're busy. So how patient are you? How patient are you feeling? We want to talk about patience today. Patience is a huge topic, and especially in 2020. Well, yeah. So I was watching this TED Talk. There was 6.7 million people looked at in their internet use. And what they found is wait time to load a video. People were willing to wait Guess how long? 20 seconds. Two. Two seconds. So after five seconds, they lost a quarter of the people. And then after 10 seconds, half of them were gone. That's amazing. Do you remember the days of dial-up? You could get a whole load of laundry done while you were trying to just yeah. get into the internet. <laughs> you got mail. Remember that? We're dating ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about patience and, and how it relates to the spiritual life. You know, what is patience? And then at the end, I want to talk about some things that we can do to cultivate it. Can it be cultivated? Yes. Okay, good. Then this list will be helpful. Be valid. You got it. And what led you to want to talk about patience today? What led you to want to talk about patience today? Because I think that, well, first of all, that's the thing I'm focusing on right now. That's what I'm trying to develop as a discipline because at times uh, there are factors that make me irritable if, if, if something's not going my way, something gets into the way of my goal, I'll start to lose my peace and peace is essential to the spiritual path. I mean, I, I would say it's one of the goals. Right, right. I was going to say patience for me also ties in with consistency. Okay, say more about that. That's interesting. Well, I think that consistency is something we never talk about, and it's what's needed as much as anything. What guards us against acting like idiots? 
Yeah, you're, you're, you're dead on target there because what we like is we like control and predictability. And when we have that, then we'll, our physiology will calm down because we, uh, we know what's going to happen next, right? There are no surprises. We do not like surprises because most surprises are not good. Right. right. Have you noticed that? Right. So when we do have the consistency and patterns and rhythms in our life, then we, we're calmer to go into the next situation because we're not going to get surprised. Now, get one thing out of order and all of a sudden, all, all sorts of things get out of order for me, right? Like we're creatures of habit, right? So if something gets out of order, I get a surprise and I get off my game or my rhythm or what you said, the consistency, all kinds of things like where my keys happen and I'm go out to the truck, come back in because I forgot something. But as long as I can keep that rhythm. You know, setting up patterns for yourself may be one of the solutions to helping get there. Like always putting your keys in the same place. You know, patience, I think, can be developed. And when we learn one of the responses is a consistent response or not to over respond when we need, when we need patience, when we're called on to have patience or blow our top. Describe it from in your life. How does, how does patience or impatience fit into your life? Patience for me, luckily, is not one of my bigger struggles until it is. But <laughs> I think for whatever reason, I have an understanding that people are people and that situations can make me impatient. But I think that patience is a reminder that our faith is to be lived out in real life. It's not to be lived out on a mountaintop. Jesus went to mountaintops to get away and to, to rest and to be in a quiet place or a lonely place. But every single time he came back down to the valley where people probably were driving crazy. Apparently they did, yeah. Yeah. So for my life, for my life, patience was something that enabled me. Oh, man, I don't even know how to answer this. Were you always patient or was it something you developed? Because temperament is a factor, you know. Some people are running a little hotter. I got different kids with different temperaments and some of them are less patient because of that and some are very patient, surprisingly. Very true. And I think my temperament may lend itself toward patience, easygoing. On the dark side, I'm a people pleaser. And so I want to give people the benefit of the doubt. I can be patient with them knowing they may have just had a bad day. I think patience also has to do with somehow seeing a bigger picture. Okay. And if I don't lose sight of the bigger picture, if I don't lose sight of this is one moment, this is today, this is who knows what just happened to this person, it helps me with patience. Okay. So empathy is one sort of a orientation you'd have towards a person that would help. Empathy helps patience. Yes. You're saying, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know why? I think that is partially this. First of all, patience, the root word is related to suffering, right? Long suffering. Suffer over a long time. Exactly. I think it's this. Here's the struggle, the whole patient struggle. Okay. Reality is given. I don't have anything to do with reality. Eventually, I'm going to have to accept reality. Okay, how long am I going to wait? How long am I going to struggle against reality? That's the impatience, right? I can't believe this happened. I can't believe, well, it happened. You want to accept it quickly? Now you have patience. Or do you want to struggle against it? But you're eventually going to accept reality. That is really, really good. I think it has something to do with expectations not being met, like a late takeoff of a plane or long grocery store lines. And the person in front of you all of a sudden causes the cashier to have problems or restaurants where you have to wait and wait Mm -hmm. and wait. And we 
are so much less patient because everything is so instantaneous from cooking our food to prepackaged everything. Loading um, internet videos, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And how long do you let a question hang out there when, like my wife says, too bad you don't have all the world's information at your fingertips. Right, you know, right. <laughs> we, we, can't, we can't even marinate on what could be a solution or what could be an answer before we Google it. Well, there's a sense of entitlement involved too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I can't believe this isn't working this way. You know, and that, that's the demanding is entitlement. So, so gratitude, you know, as the opposite of entitlement can help. You know, well, you know, at least I'm in a restaurant. Some places they don't have restaurants maybe, you know what I mean? Or at least I'm uh, healthy enough to eat something. Yeah. I, at least I have teeth. How about that? So St. Jerome said, haste is of the devil. What was he talking about, Matt? Haste is of the devil. And I've heard similar things too, and I'm sure you've read similar things from theologians and philosophers. Sure. Well, you know, when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, in other words, the natural results of having Christ in your life, the natural results of being connected to God, first of all, to have Christ in your life means you've let go of yourself. Mm -hmm. And you've said, now I don't belong to me anymore. I've been bought with a price. I belong to Jesus. I've been belonged to Christ. I'm led by the Holy Spirit and that's God with me. And if that's the truth, the, this fruit of the spirit, the natural result of an apple tree is apples. The fruit of a spirit, the natural result of having Christ in your life. The first one is love and then joy and then peace. Those all sound amazing, but that means love when there's no love or joy when there is no outside joy, peace in the midst of conflict. And then the Next one on the list. You know, the first three sound so good, but the next one is patience. And it's then followed by kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Patience, I think the ability to accept delay, the ability to accept disappointment, to smile back at setbacks, to respond with pleasant and understanding spirit, knowing that nobody said my life was going to be a Disney movie. Nobody said that it's supposed to happen and it's supposed to be easy. Yeah. So in therapy, we deal with uh, something you alluded to. We call it low frustration tolerance, low frustration tolerance. And we see people who have low frustration tolerance, depressed, anxious, because they're really uncomfortable, right? It's amazing to me because Life is a series of one frustration after the other, if you let it be. Right. And then, and then if somebody's so patient, patient, there's a lot of people that say, what is wrong with you? Are you that out of touch? Yes. We've almost made it heroic to rise up in anger. You think so? I think we celebrate that. So in Ecclesiastes, right, 5.2, I read this and it really got my attention because I measured myself and uh, against it. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought, word of thought, to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Wow. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Read that one more time, phrase by phrase. Sure, sure. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. Do not be hasty in word or in thought. 
impulsive or impulsive in thought yes. or impulsive in thought we celebrate that we we celebrate the people who are so quick-witted who uh, can zing somebody right back especially online and all we are tempted to do all day is watch videos of that oh she got what's coming to her watch what this guy says to her there's so much of that online well have you ever been with someone who has pressured speech Right. So they just keep cutting. My daughter was like that. Like my boys, you know, they don't talk as much. My daughter, I'd be in the car and she'd be next to me. And I would just be eventually, I'm like, oh my gosh, just just like a barrage of that going on. It, it can overwhelm us too, too much. And also, I, does it disrupt our peace? I mean, I'm not saying you're supposed to be peaceful all the time. Sometimes you, you ought not be peaceful. But in general, is it possible to have that, you know, impulsive, quick speech and have the state of peace simultaneously, I'm wondering. I think in the right circumstances, quick speech is a great thing. But in the dailiness of life and the grind and the irritations that come, quick speech can, it's the dark side of it. What's the next phrase? The next phrase is, for God is in heaven and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. What does that mean? Okay, so he's making the point that, look, here's why, because God's in heaven. You're on the earth. I think it's such a reminder of, of the fact that we do not hang on to good perspective much of the time. That I'm seeing the entire world from basically six feet off the ground. And I have, do not have a sense, even with the internet, of the bigger picture. And yet that goes for the bigger picture around the world, as well as the bigger picture of who I am and who I'm becoming. That's good. That, that's good. So really... This opposite of, of patience is, is when we're trying to force an outcome, our outcome, right? It's the opposite of the acceptance that we have. Because I'll say one thing about people who, who listen, because, you know, you're listening when you're not speaking, ostensibly, you know, unless you're daydreaming about a cartoon you saw, but you're going to be listening, is people are very likable when they're good listeners. You know, that's really true. I've been getting some coaching on leadership mm -hmm. and the woman who's coaching me says, when you have this one-on-one -on -one meeting with them, you listen 80% of the time and you only talk 20% of the time. If you're coaching somebody, you only speak 20% of the time. It goes back to that great line that I first heard in youth ministry when a dad was so frustrated and he says, I don't understand my son. He just won't listen to me. Do you see the oxymoronic yeah. nature of that? I don't understand my son. He won't listen to me. Yeah, maybe because you're not listening. Yeah. That's, that's the point, right? Yeah. If I want to understand my son, and it goes with the verse from Ecclesiastes you've read, if I want to understand my son, I've got to listen to him. If we want to understand God, if we want to understand our situation, if we want to get the heaven view because we're stuck here on earth, and the heaven view doesn't just mean up in the clouds, thousands of feet above the surface of the earth. The heaven view is, is the view that is sin-free. The heaven view is the view where humanity is as it was created to be. The heaven view is with God. It does see three-dimensionally, not just two-dimensionally, six feet off the earth or however tall you are. There's a line in the scriptures that say God is slow to anger, more, more than once, but God is slow to anger. He is patient. What does that mean that God is slow to anger? I think it's honoring of the fact that the people that he created were made in his image, and that means that we have the ability to choose. You and I have the ability to choose. That's you and I have the ability to create. But how does, how does that relate to anger? It's slow to anger. I think that God wants to give us the ability to make things right. 
as much as we're humanly able to do it. Okay, help me. I'm not making the connection to anger though. Slow to anger. He's patient. He's slow to anger. What does that mean? I think slow to anger means that that he has mercy. He has patience. He sees our motives. He knows when we try and we fail. And out of his great love, he is slow to anger. He is crazy about us. When you love someone, you are slow to anger. If you truly love someone, people with quick tempers are so consumed with themselves and their situations and what they're not getting and their frustrations and their irritations that they are not slow to anger. They have allowed that to overtake whatever love they have for the person or the time that they're in the middle of. Yeah, I see. Yeah, The thing about anger is it usually has judgment involved. Bad. Okay, that's why you're angry, you know. Also, the wish to punish in some way, small way or big way, but certainly not to bring joy to the, if it's a person, to the person, or if it's an object, to the object, right? Right. Anger, I believe, is a, like all our emotions, is a signal given by God that tells us, hey, something's up. And true anger, righteous anger, means somebody has done something against me and I need to confront it. I think a lot of us are short-circuited by our brokenness, by our sin that our anger is triggered at completely inappropriate times. Oh, yeah. We're overdoing anger in this culture. There's no doubt in my mind. I see it all around us. Yeah. And patience seems like such a blah topic to talk about. And yet, when you look at where the rubber meets the road in your life, the thing that you could be armed with more than anything is patience. There are so many times when silence has saved me. Mm -hmm. There are so many times where instead of thinking of what I was going to say back, I really listened to the person. Or I thought, oh my gosh, I'm really judging their motives and I'm, I'm, I'm applying really bad motives to somebody because of their behavior. I think they're doing something that they have no meaning of. I just listened to Malcolm Gladwell's book, Talking to Strangers, and the assumptions that we make about people that we don't even understand Due to And the problems that it causes when you think of uh, some of the tragedies that have happened in our own country and, and uh, people getting pulled out of their cars and people, we want to believe the truth, we're designed to, to believe the truth, but we'll miss obvious lies because of that. And, and we make these great assumptions on people's motives. Oh, yeah. Just based on their behavior. How much of what you do when a patient comes to see you is specifically based on their behavior versus is that different from psychology or is it kind of one in the same? I'm not sure I, I quite understand. What do you mean? The, what distinction are you making between behavior and mood? When somebody comes in to see you, there's a pattern going on. There's pain in their lives. How much of that pain would you say is caused by haste or by being impatient? Uh, well, I, I know one thing, you you know, pain certainly disrupts patients for sure. So irritability is a one of the, it's a criterion for the diagnosis of major depressive disorder. Now um, with anxiety, because I treat mostly, because that's what's mostly out there, the, the depression, anxiety. Anxiety for sure is, is going to involve that because what anxiety is, is threat, threat, threat. And if there's a threat, you have to either get away from it or you have to you know, you're not very patient when you're in pain now, but that's what patience is, is how do I, what's my way of being when I'm suffering, when I'm in pain? Can I tolerate pain? Can I tolerate frustrations? Can I accept it? Can I delay gratification, for instance, because the delay of gratification is really at the heart of it, I think. 
Yeah. I want it to be this way, my will. I want it to be this way. It's not that way, and I'm going to demand it be different. Now, faith helps because faith is this. Look, I'm small, right? I may not know exactly what this means. I don't even know if it's good or bad, maybe. And if you put it in God's hands, you know, one guy, one guy before I was really following, mm-hmm. the way some guy said that in a meeting because we were about to release a product, and I was really anxious back then. And he just says, well, you know, you just release it, and then it's in God's hands. And it was like, I never, and I really, I never heard it that way before. And I was like, cause it gave me a whole different orientation. Me trying to control things because I'm afraid I'm going to fail or something's going to get out of hand or someone's not doing something right. To just put that into a greater forces hand on me right down. And I never forgotten that. Wow. That sounds like it was a step to you coming to a, a full understanding of how the universe is designed. Really. Steps, certainly steps towards, right? Like yeah. I think that there's like little drops in the bucket for a while and then boom, it's just a slingshot up for some people, right? You know? Yeah. Here's the, I think here's the thing about patience that we don't want to talk about because we want to deny that irritations are not a major part of the human race. Say more. Life is a series of irritations. I wrote down a traffic jams, squeaking doors, interruptions, long lines, flat tires, deadlines, phone calls, doing the dishes, being rushed, feeling unappreciated, dogs that are not trained, weeds in your yard, tight clothes, peeling onions, cold food, talkative people, incompetence, reminders, crying babies, balancing checkbooks, nosy neighbors, misplaced keys, mothers-in-law, late planes, zippers that are stuck, high prices, and they just irritate me. And they uh, those, That's your list? That's one of my lists. Oh, I would have listened to it differently if I would known that it was your list. I thought you just made a list. Well, I made a list. Some of those are on mine, but I was thinking of things that I've seen bug people or set people off. Okay. What's on the top of your list? I'm curious. What's the thing that you struggle with to, to keep your patience and hold your peace when it's happening? Mean people. Yeah, me too. That's hard. I think that the, I think that's wired in us. We're not made to see people being mistreated. It, it's going to disturb us, and I think I'm glad it disturbs me. Yeah, I think that's I a really healthy. Want to like that. Yeah. Yeah. So I have an example last night though, because last night I'm coming home from the office and I hit a deer. Oh my gosh! I didn't even know. Yeah, it was a deer's fault. I wasn't trying to. He ran out in front of me. But I was kind of surprised at how because we have a lot going on right now, as you know, right? So mm-hmm. there are big things going on right now, and. Back when I was younger, I would have been freaked out or angry, or whatever, but I stayed, I think I stayed calm. At least I felt, I'm sure my heart rate went up or a little bit. I was surprised. I just pulled over and go out and check it. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm growing up a little bit, you know. That's powerful. I certainly didn't want that to happen. Sure. You know, it reminds me of James chapter one, starting in verse two. Here's the J.B. Phillips translation of it says this, paraphrased. When all kinds of trials, like hitting a deer or whatever it is you're facing, squeaky wheels when you're pushing, you grab the cart at the grocery store. When all kinds of trials crowd into your lives, my brothers and sisters, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they have come to test your endurance, but let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed. And you'll find that you have become men and women of mature character. I love that. Yeah, the, you know, James was like the first book that that in First Corinthians was like just wow. It just yeah was helped me so much, and I always return to it. Mm. Well, with the faith, I mean, I want to talk a little bit about this because I have permission to. So, you know, Kathy was diagnosed. My wife was diagnosed with breast cancer, right? 
the whole family is at such peace right now about it. We're not wringing our hands and worrying or anything like that. We're just doing the next thing. We're just staying in the moment because there's a trust that we have that no matter what the outcome is, that now without the faith, oh my gosh, it would have been with a true belief in that. So I think faith helps with patience. Because, yes. because big things right now don't matter to me. Little things like I'm trying to, uh, the ninja's leaking and a bunch of, I get that surprise and like some of, you know, my smoothie went all over. Those are the things that irritate me now, but not the big, the big things I'm, you know, steady Eddie. You find that? Yes. What, what an amazing testimony. It's, it's yet another reminder. I mean, there's so many levels going on and I'm, so sad that you guys have to go through this. At the same time, anything that can remind me God is God and I am not. Yes, that's what it is exactly what it does. It humbled me. That's one of the things it did. And, you know, to, to, we're not promised anything, right? And we, but we were given some, so we don't want to forget that. There's the gratitude of, of what we've been given so far. But I, I'm not demanding that it be any different. I wish it were different, but I don't have that power. I don't have that control. I'm not saying that to brag, like, look at me. I'm Mr. Spiritual Guy. I'm trying to say this to people because some people may not know this is possible. Personally, it, it works. It works. Yeah. He works. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think one of the secrets in whatever situation we're facing is adjusting, which sounds so simple, but it isn't. Well, get to what it means to adjust. What does it, uh, to adjust mean? Well, it means setting aside my expectations. It means setting aside oftentimes my habits. Mm-hmm. You know, we tend to develop, I think I tend to develop habit reactions. Even if they're wrong, we develop how we react to stuff. And some people binge, some people curl up, some people isolate. Isolate. Yeah. Some people go on whatever kind of spree they need to go on. Some people fantasize to escape the pain or whatever it is. And I think these these habit reactions that we have spent years developing, in the beginning, maybe it was a coping mechanism, mm-hmm. you know, but I think that when you take these habit reactions and you take the fact that we're usually in a hurry, our expectations, I think sometimes it's that our expectations are unrealistic. Well, I like what you just said, hurry, because speed does it to me. Mm. Spe- look, I like the contemplative life, right? I like to, to, to be slow now. I, cause I, and I used to, I would have probably been hyperactive when I was a kid, diagnosed as ADHD probably even, right? Because I was, you know, that kind of person. So now I've learned to really like that. And I'm thinking that impatience interferes with the contemplative life. And we want to have the contemplative life. That's where the life is, you know? Yes. So what about speed? Talk about speed. Because if things start going too fast, I start getting agitated. Oh, yeah. And I think that we try to cram too much into every one day. I think we have no idea what we could accomplish in a year. But the problem is we think we can accomplish so much in one day Mm. that we don't do the small things that are going to build up the flywheel, you know, they call it every day doing this amount. You know, I might say I want to bench 300 pounds, but I'm not just going to sit down and do it one day because of my willpower. Uh What I have to do for that goal is, and maybe that's something, a a takeaway is if I have a goal to improve in something, I have to decide what that means day by day. Rather than output goal, I want to bench 300 pounds. I want to have X amount of money. I want to have this many friends. Rather than an output goal, think about what inputs, what's a goal that I can set that is inputted into my daily routine, into my life, whether it's phone calls to people 
in order to develop friends, just checking in, how's it going? You know, and if I could develop, okay, X amount of times per week, I'm going to work out. X amount of times per week, I'm going to rest. X amount of times per week, I'm going to get have a small group or spiritual conversation or read the Bible. And, and so it's not like I'm going to have the whole thing memorized. That's a goal that is so far out there. But if I can think of a goal on a daily basis or a weekly basis for so many things in my life, that's, I think, how we develop new habits and how we can adjust our lives. Well, what you're talking about, and it does work, is that you're focused on the process. Your goals are process focused, right? I'm going to develop these habits. And then, you know, the success comes as a byproduct. Because that's why I tell people, like, I want to lose weight. So I'm going, I go, don't do it for that reason. That'll just happen naturally. Focus on the, the process of doing it and getting that down. And then it'll be, because here's what happens. Guess what happens when we reach that big goal? I've been working on this for so long and now, oh, I finally arrived. What happens next? There's a letdown. Yeah, there's a big letdown because it's, we have to chase something. That, that's the fun part of it, the anticipation. And a lot of people get depressed after they've reached a big goal, mm. you know? Yeah, you let your guard down. Remember Phelps? Yes. Michael Phelps that I tremendous, you know, achievements like never been done before. But then after it was over, just the letdown that he describes. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that that could even apply to patients. If, if I know I want to be that kind of a consistent person, that kind that doesn't get wigged out from irritations or doesn't get irritable from mm-hmm. all the irritations that happen from all the people around that person is going to be so well loved and well appreciated because of their consistency and because of their long suffering that you will be known as a safe person. You'll be known as a strong person. We're, I think a lot of us guys are afraid that if I become that patient, people are going to think I'm some kind of a pushover or some kind of detached person. But if you are an engaged yeah. person who is also patient, you will be prized. Why would it look weak though? I mean, because you're right, because I had that down in my notes. I wanted to talk about this, so you brought it up. So, But why would that be weak? To me, self-control is power, but what is it about patience that might appear weak? Well, I think that the opposite of it supposedly appears strong. Oh, you know, I'm going to give you a tongue lashing. Oh, I'm going to rise up. I'm going to beat your face in. I'm going to, you know, these outbursts somehow are celebrated online, maybe because of whatever they trigger for people. When I see an adult do that, I see a child throwing a tantrum. That's what it is. When I see someone with restraint, I see a, an adult that is confident that, you know, I'm, I got this, I got this. I'm like the self-control is a fruit of the spirit. So emotional regulation, um, that's what children struggle with because their brains are not fully developed. Yeah. And grown-ups struggle with too for the same reason. Well, I was comparing them, <laughs> right? So let's talk about what to do because I, I'm 100% that you can develop this because I'm developing it, right? And this is my focus right now. So I'll say these and you tell me how, maybe how they fit in your life or if you agree or disagree. Okay. I really find that for me, the top of my list is solitude. If I don't carve those hours out in the morning when I'm fresh, where I can be free and pay attention and sort of think and just do some of the things, the rest of my day isn't going to go as well if I miss that out. So practice of solitude and solitude is a discipline, a spiritual discipline, right? How does solitude fit into your life? Solitude for me has caused me to wake up early and I'm an extrovert. But it's caused me to wake up early. It's caused me to just soak in scriptures. I like I'm an audible kind of a learner. And so I I will listen 
to 10 minutes of an uh, the Bible on an Audible app. And that's a part of it. I can do that while I'm making my coffee, while I'm doing things I don't have to think about. Solitude wasn't natural for me at first. Solitude feels sometimes like more like solitary confinement. Mm-hmm. Like loneliness or something? Maybe? Yeah, yeah. And so I do agree, though, solitude has to be a part of it. We are called to Sabbath rest. And if you are not practicing any kind of Sabbath or solitude or rest, you are committing acts of spiritual violence against yourself. I like that. I think you're right. According to the book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So next, practice an awareness of the presence of God. Okay. That's, that's really helped me a lot. So because that thing, you know, the ninja spilling my, you know, smoothie or whatever is nothing when I'm got my eyes on eternity. So do you, how does that work for you as a spiritual practice? Just awareness that this is God's creation, you are God's creation, and we're in something way bigger. Yeah. Yes. For me, it usually turns into humor. When something stupid like that happens or somebody says something stupid, I'm offended, I'm repulsed, I'm mad. And if I can catch my breath and not react right in the moment, then almost always it's really funny. I remember once in junior high, we, were, we went to the art museum with a group of friends in Chicago, and this guard yelled at my friend Bill because he went up the stairs where it was supposed to be a downstairs thing. And this is a huge wide step at the beginning of this big mm-hmm. old museum. And my grandma at the time said, oh, don't worry about it. You probably made his day because there was this old guard just sitting there with nothing to do. Mm-hmm. And because my friend Bill walked up the steps that you're supposed to go down in that section. Mm-hmm. He had something to do. And that just c- cracked me up when she said that. And it made me realize other people's irritability can be pretty funny if you see how freaked out they are about something so small. Yeah. Okay. But we're talking, that was important, but the pre- practicing the presence of God. I want to know how you do that. I mean, how, because look, we get, we get sidetracked a lot and we, we think that these worldly things are really important. And how do you flip back into, you know, more of the cosmic view, you know, the, eternal, you know, spiritual view. For me, one of the things is a breath prayer. And for me, it's this, Lord Jesus Christ, breathing in, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. That is so good. I do the exact same thing. And we have those. And they're, they're, it's so good to have those phrases ready to go and, and well rehearsed. So I like that a lot. That's, that's really good. How about this? Be aware that you do not control the universe. What? You do not, yeah, you do not control traffic. You don't control if cancer comes. You don't control if your boss is being a jerk. You don't, you can't control that. You're not, you always say this a lot. I I hear you always going back to the refrain, you're God and I'm not. Yeah. And we are not. It's that thing. That, that is incredibly true. I think God gives us that reminder. You know, there's this old kid song that said, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And that is from the Psalms. And so it, it was a song of the ancient Hebrews that they recorded, that they used for worship. And, and it occurred to me, you know, everybody, everywhere you go, you hear people saying, oh, you are the future. Oh, you know, you are the master of your own destiny. And, and they're trying to empower people, and we're fully empowered by God. But today, which happens to be a Wednesday, mm-hmm. this is not my day. No matter how big the goals are that I have for this day, I don't have to charge myself up. I just have to say, God, this is your day. This is the day you have created. In this present moment, you have just called me to be faithful. 
And when there is a huge problem with today, I say, God, you've got a huge problem. I'm going to bed. God, this is your day. And whether the problem was caused by me or is impacting me, I just say, God, this is your day. Yes. And start with acceptance of that as a fact and go move towards adoration. Yeah. Right? That's what I think, you know? Yeah. Um, because like we said, reality is given. Now, don't lean on or trust in your own wisdom. That has helped me be more patient. Don't, don't lean on or we don't say that anymore so much, but we say don't. Tr- so I say don't trust in my wisdom. I don't know everything. It feels like it's true. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not true. I don't know all the time, right? Yeah. We jump to conclusions so quick. We are so quick to apply motives to things that happen to us. Even we all the red lights. Oh, somebody's against me. Mm-hmm. Even when we see somebody doing something completely opposite of what we think should be happening, or they, they're acting obnoxious or in some kind of a way that's drawing attention to themselves, we do not know what's going on in their lives, and we are so quick to assign motives. That's good because the next one is compassion. We mentioned it for a minute, but let's talk a little bit about compassion because maybe people don't know exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. They felt it, but they don't know how to practice it. So in, how do you practice compassion? Like, let, let's just say this. Let's do it hypothetically. Someone did surprise you with like some bad behavior or a, a nasty comment or something. Now you need to practice compassion. How do you flip that switch? God says in the Bible, in First Corinthians, no, in Romans, He says, well, he says, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And he says, when somebody does evil against you, you you still act with kindness and pray for them. That's like heaping burning hot coals on their head. Yeah, but I, that sounds, I don't, the part I did like about that is I don't want to punish them. I want to have compassion. It's like, I can't, now I got to feel bad about their colds on their head. You know what I mean? Compassion is empathy mixed with the wish for the suffering to stop for that person. And we know that if someone's impatient, they're suffering. That's by definition, they are, right? But why would I want colds dumped on their head? In that same verse, there's, it's quoting the Hebrew scripture and it says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So when I'm so mad at somebody for their Mm -hmm. lack of patience or when I'm feeling impatient myself, I can pause because I can know that God is going to take care of it. Okay. Yeah. If if there needs to be some punishment given for that person. But what I try to do is... Because I, I know what impatience is like, you know, it's that you're not comfortable. You're really uncomfortable. Now you're behaving really poorly because you're compromised. So I try to have some sympathy even for the person who's having it. Because I've done it, first of all, empathy of like, oh yeah, I've done it. We've all been irritable. And then secondly, I hope it stops for you soon so you can have some peace. Totally. When I see people, whether they're at church or whether they're in a restaurant or somewhere and they've got a little kid or baby and they're crying and fussy. I've so been there with our four kids mm-hmm. and I always try to put in a word of encouragement, even if the little kid is getting kind of rowdy or obnoxious with their crying. Yes. How about this? Respond to this. I wrote uh, patience is optimistic. Maybe not all the time, but generally speaking, I think patience is optimistic. Do you think patience is optimistic? Because yeah, say something about that. Patience is optimistic because we've been given the gift of time. I think. I think that patience is optimistic because it means I am not a slave to my current circumstance. And if I can wait long enough, there's going to be an alternative way to act, way to respond. I can get away from the situation if I'm patient long enough. And I want to go back to practicing the presence of Christ. Okay, sure. Because it's most easy to do when it's with a friend. 
But if you consider God as someone who loves you deeper than any friend could, when I am in a crappy situation and everything's going wrong, if I'm with a friend, I'll make a joke. I will laugh about it. I will mock whatever's going on. I mean, in a respectful way, like, you know, like, yeah, sure. Going on. Like if you're stuck on an airplane or wherever you might be, if I'm stuck with the right person, it's, we're going to make, it's going to be a great story someday. And maybe that's an optimistic thing. Now, practicing the presence of Christ means, okay, Jesus, you and I are stuck here at this red light. We are stuck in traffic that is at a dead standstill. We are facing some crazy people <laughs> and you made them. And, and knowing I am not alone in the situation and that the Holy Spirit, God, the mind of Christ, he is with me in that situation means I am not alone facing the obnoxiousness that is trying my patience. And all of a sudden, it changes everything. The, the, the crappiest, being stuck in the back of a van driving 10 hours in Kenya where there's no air conditioning and you're about to pass out because you're dying. If I was with Lee, we would be miserable and laughing the whole time. Uh, good. That's good. Okay. So then my last one is this. This is what's helped me develop patience to the extent I have it now. Fasting. Ooh. Fasting. That's really, really helped me. Now, why? Because I know you've been fasting even more recently. So yes. why do you think, does it have that effect on you too? It does. Something about when you fast, whether it's an intermittent fast or a whole day fast or whatever it might be, it reminds you there's a bigger goal going on that other people don't see, which is a great reminder that whatever you can see is being controlled by stuff you can't see, which we talked about a couple podcasts ago. But fasting also, it heightens your senses. It makes you more aware of your surroundings. Sometimes there's an energy factor that keeps me calmer. I'd say it's calm alert state is what I feel. So, so my mind is alert and my, you know, the thoughts are, and the colors are real crisp, but my body feels at, at peace. Now that we could talk, we won't get into all the mechanisms because, you know, I've looked into those two about why, because we have a whole bunch of hormonal, you know, positive effects and, and things like that. From fasting, from a psychological from standpoint, and it's throughout the scriptures, theologically. Yes. Um, Jesus said there's some demons that don't come out except by prayer and fasting. And fasting. And, and, and um, also, how, how has it affected your prayer life, the fasting too? So, so I mean, definitely more patient when I'm, yeah. when I'm fasting. There's no doubt about that. I'm more accepting. I think that's why, right? Because look, I'm not going to that next thing to distract me or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, if, and if it's food too, you know, that's what a lot of people go to. Easy comfort. Yeah, absolutely. And it activates a parasympathetic nervous system. And so you get this, right? So now it's just, I'm, I'm prepared to accept. My physiology has got this stuff going that make me feel a little bit better. And, and now I accept everything. And then it comes to life. Like you said, the colors come out more. I'm, I'm, I can see more because I'm slower. I'm alert, but I'm calm and there's a slowing, right? Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Sometimes there's some people around me and people that I work with and I have to say, slow down. Yeah, right on. People want your attention. That's the best gift that you can give people. And even in the midst of, of struggling with patience, sometimes the attention you can give can really smooth over a lot of the irritations. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's contagious. In mm -hmm. the same way that haste and anger is contagious, if it gets in the room, but if patients get in the room, so if I'm going off a little bit and you stay calm, you're going to win. 
Yeah. As long as you stay calm, you're going to win. I'm going to start calming down. You know, we've all done that. Right. They say the person who's the loudest usually has the weakest argument. <laughs> <laughs> That's about all I have to say about patience right now. Is there anything else you want to get in? I have a closing illustration okay, talking cool. about irritation and patience. And it's this perfect illustration. It's a little bit corny, but it's in nature. This is from Chuck Swindoll. The oyster and its pearl. How do you adjust to irritation? Pearls are the product of pain. For some unknown reason, the shell of the oyster gets pierced and an alien substance, a grain of sand, slips inside. On the entry of that foreign irritant, all the resources within the tiny sensitive oyster rush to the spot and begin to release healing fluids that otherwise would have remained dormant. By and by, the irritant is covered and the wound is healed by a pearl. No other gem has such a fascinating history. It is the symbol of stress, a healed wound. A pearl is a precious tiny jewel conceived through irritation, born of adversity, nursed by adjustments. Had there been no wounding, no irritation, no irritating interruption, there could have been no pearl. Some oysters are never wounded, and those who seek for gems toss those oysters aside, only fit for stew. And then he says this, no wonder our heavenly home at its entrance, pearly gates. Those who go through them need no explanation. They're the ones who have been wounded, bruised, and have responded to the sting of irritation with the pearl of adjustment. Who wrote that? Chuck Swindoll. I'm not Chuck Swindoll. He's a great writer from kind of the 70s, 80s, 90s. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pastor. Listen, maybe th with that we should pray. Yeah, please. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you so much that you never leave us alone. I thank you, God, even whether or not we've received you into our lives, you are here and you're just waiting. Lord, I thank you that when things happen that trigger us, that trip us up, when we're surrounded by impatient people, that makes us impatient. Lord, I pray we don't add to the mix. And I thank you for the reminder how James wrote, count it all joy. And he's writing this to people who were scattered because of their faith and persecuted because of their faith. And, and James says, count it all joy when you face various trials, for the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full and perfect effect, that we may be complete and lacking in nothing. God, I pray that you would enable us to experience that, like, like a pearl of great price. What is going on in our hearts and lives through suffering, which we try to avoid at all costs, may be exactly what we need. And we pray for patience and we pray for your presence as we go through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.